Hello everyone and welcome to Shot Reverse Shot, a film and television podcast in which we talk about a theme which changes from episode to episode. I'm Edwin Davis and joining me on this very special, very spoiler-filled episode is Matt Spoiler Risby. Hi Matt, how's it going? Yeah, I'm. it's going pretty well. I have just seen The Avengers Endgame and that's full of spoilers, that film. So if you mm. want to avoid spoilers for Avengers Endgame, don't watch it. Yeah, yeah. Like if you want to avoid Endgame spoilers, that's pretty much the, the only way to guarantee mm. that the movie is never never spoiled for you <laughs> yeah keep it um did you did you manage to avoid spoilers ed uh i did i managed to avoid spoilers and we're saying the word spoilers so often at this bit just because i think we really need to emphasize that we're going to talk about a lot of the movie and also because we historically are very bad mm. at not at but not putting spoiler warnings at the start of these sort of things so uh yeah just forewarning there are spoilers um i did avoid specific spoilers um a lot of the things that i read that you know people tweeted were like so oblique that only later on did um i realized that they were spoilers Mm. um so everyone i follow on twitter was very very good about that sort of thing the one that comes to mind was a tweet that someone said where they said uh, i can't wait to see which of peter Parker's friends are five years older in far from home (laughs) Which I was like, oh, yeah, when towards the end of the movie, I was like, oh, I guess he was very fortunate that his best friend also got snapped (laughs) because otherwise, uh, yeah, that that kid's going to be graduating from college (laughs) Mm. and not be in the next movie. And um, one of one of the plot points, I guess, was spoiled for me just because I saw someone kind of like postulating possible plot points on Twitter, like particularly around the idea of the time stone and the question of like Captain America maybe being put in a different time period. And so that I guess that was that's not a spoiler in the case that someone saw the movie and was like, oh, my God, this happens so much as as soon as that idea was put in my head, I was like, oh, I guess time travel probably would make sense and Mm. would factor into the story somehow. Mm. How about you? Did you manage to avoid everything i did and i i mean i managed to go in having only seen uh one trailer with no sound oh wow um, so i'm getting pretty good at avoiding trailers now we just talked off air that i haven't watched the deadwood trailer and i think it's not about not wanting to spoil things it's just you know i don't think anything's going to give anything away too much but like it's mm. just quite nice uh to go in there and have it all fresh because even even though you're if you watch a trailer maybe a couple of times, you start to kind of try and put the the scenes you're seeing in some kind of order and then kind of work well if they yeah. were there. And then, yeah, it's kind of like, yeah, it's good. Just just go in, just be free, you know, just enjoy it. I, I think I think now all trailers should be done in the style of the Mummy slash Men in Black trailer where they <laughs> accidentally upload it without music and most sound effects. Because yep. I, I think that really, you, you can't have the movie spoiled for you there because you're just so baffled by the weird experience of just bits of dialogue and then occasionally truly awful sound editing. I'd go a step further and say like they should have unfinished like visual effects in as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, obviously yeah. they try and cram as many money shots into a trailer as they can. It's actually yeah. just like Chris Hemsworth looking confused in front of a green screen waving a stick. Yeah, that's all That's all we really want. Hmm. My uh, my favourite bit in the, the Men in Black international trailer is where there's like a bit of dialogue from Liam Neeson and it's like, you'll be paired with Injured M. It's just like, wow. <laughs> That's like 
uh, dialogue from what seems like four separate takes <laughs> just mm. like very badly edited together it was so so weird and i saw the full trailer before endgame today uh with all the you know the missy elliott song in the background and everything and uh i just couldn't not hear how bad the editing on that bit was now having heard it, it's like oh yeah that's rough mm. Yeah, but you, you, your mind doesn't really kind of twig, does it? Because you're trying to just take in everything in a short mm. period of time. So you can get away with anything. Yeah, as someone who routinely would mask terrible sound recording on student films by just putting on, like, a Smith's instrumental track. Uh, yeah, like, it's very easy to kind of overwhelm enough of the senses that people don't notice things mm. are wrong in other ways. Yeah, yeah. But in, in short, I yeah, I avoided every, every kind of spoiler. I kind of didn't stay off social media because I don't tend to follow people who would particularly kind of retweet any kind of vicious spoilers. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was kind of nice to... And I went on opening night as well. So I kind of it was nice to kind of get it out of the way. So I'm going to drag it out, which is what I think you were saying to me in on WhatsApp when you, you were kind of speculating as to why that's... Is that a contributing factor of it being such a big opening weekend? Is there people just trying to get in there before it's spoiled? I do really feel as if that drove the desire by people to see it as soon as possible. I think uh, this was true about Infinity War as well. There was all this stuff about, you know, that the Russo brothers wrote that kind of like long... Uh, letter that they then posted on their social media channels which is like don't spoil it don't spoil it and that that was kind of times 10 for this one because you had all the cast saying like you know keep the secrets and things like that and i do feel as if that maybe created an imperative a lot of people who maybe would think i don't want to go opening weekend i don't want to deal with the crowds i'll go see it the following week thinking oh man i've got to dodge like any discussion of the movie for a week and like maybe you know and there was such a sense of this is a big event there's a sense of finality to what's happening in this movie um you know that that maybe that really drove people to think okay this is a big cultural event that i need to be a part of on the opening weekend just because otherwise there's a chance that just inadvertently people will um spoil some aspect of the movie for me uh uh, in the intervening time between me getting to see it but yeah so, so obviously uh, avengers endgame is directed by the russo brothers it's the follow-up to infinity war which came out last year it was a big kind of event uh, that set up a, a kind of a very big cliffhanger i found infinity war really uh, an unsatisfying experience for the most part uh, i rewatched it again last night and i still think it's basically fine i can't dislike it because there's just so much happening in that movie and that there's enough like things that i enjoy happening that i'm like ah that's three stars but uh you know I, I i never really kind of like chimed with it on any kind of like emotional or aesthetic level it all just kind of feels like a big mush to me but it did set up a great cliffhanger which is at the end of the movie thanos gets all of the um infinity gems he snaps his fingers in the power gauntlet and wipes out half of life in the universe well, well spoilers ed i haven't seen infinity war yet so oh man this would have been a confusing <laughs> watch <laughs> Yeah, I I did hear a lot of people uh, in my screening kind of just kind of leaning over and trying to explain to the person what they were with what was happening because it wasn't the like it's very much a movie that assumes that you have seen at least the previous movie but also kind of thinks like if you're going to get anything out of this you need to have seen 
most of the preceding movies, including some of the more reviled ones. Mm. <laughs> like, it's, it, I was genuinely shocked how much Thor The Dark World factored into the plot of... of uh, of Endgame, and that, I don't dislike that movie, but is there definitely is the one that's seen as like one of the weak links by a lot of people, um, or like how much of it was like basically the the scene at Hawkeye's farmhouse from Age of Ultron stretched out. Mm-hmm. Like it did seem to be like they were going, oh, we're going to rehabilitate all the stuff that people complain about. But yeah, so so that's where the leaping, the jumping off point of this movie obviously is that half the universe has been wiped out. Everyone is trying to come to terms with that and i have to say i really really liked like the first 45 minutes of endgame like i like the movie overall but i I really feel like the first 45 minutes which initially starts with them being like we're going to get Thanos," and then realizing oh he's destroyed the infinity gems and we have literally no way of bringing everyone back so they murder him in cold blood Mm -hmm. um thor specifically murders him in cold blood and then they jump forward five years and it's just everyone having tried to deal with the sense of grief and loss and failure uh, for five years. And it's just this incredibly sad depiction of a world where, you know, everyone has lost someone because so many people have been wiped out and it's just devastated the entire world. And there's this, there's these kind of like little bits of incidental background storytelling that I liked, like the opening shot of, of New York has like the, Statue of Liberty just like surrounded by boats uh, kind of seeming to suggest maybe that just lots of people have moved to New York because like all these places have been devastated and it's like well we need to kind of migrate to a place where lots of people are already mm-hmm. to kind of like uh, I, I liked all that sort of stuff um, I, I, it very much reminded me of HBO's The Leftovers uh, which is a show that I absolutely adore and kind of deals with a lot of the same sort of stuff but with you know people who are policemen and former nurses and doctors and not, um, you know, as guardians. Mm. Yeah, yeah I really liked that. Even though everyone moved to New York, it wasn't quite enough to keep the uh, the Mets going, by the sounds of it. Mm, yeah, yeah, that seemed to be disproportionately hit by it. Mm. Yeah, their <laughs> rotation was decimated uh, by the And snap. the farm teams, that just wasn't up to, up to the task of replacing them. Mm. Yeah, it's a real shame. But yeah, the, I mean, it was quite a very sombre beginning and not one I particularly saw coming as soon as they kind of landed on Thanos's planet uh, I was like oh hang on this is moving a bit quick and they like chopped mm. the guy's head off and I was like oh shit yeah oh that's a uh, I didn't see that coming but then I kind of knew they had to fight him at the end because it would have been a shame to have lost Thanos because he was is the, the MCU gets a little bit of stick for having uh should we say some not memorable villains yeah. Um, and Thanos was always a good one. Anyway, where was I? Yeah, so uh, the sad beginning. Uh, the saddest thing about that whole kind of opening half an hour um, was the shot where we realised that Captain America shaved his beard off. Mm, yeah. Because, you know, that has been fueling the world's by curiosity <laughs> <laughs> you know, since, since the Infinity War trailer dropped. Because, I mean, damn, he looked good with that beard, and that's gone. And I was like... Jesus Christ, Russo's, you know where to hit us, don't you? Hmm. Yeah, I liked the over-reliance on changes to facial hair to indicate the passage of time. (laughs) Or just hair in general, because obviously Captain Marvel's got a a, a spiky new do, Uh, Black Widow has uh, dyed a hair, Mm -hmm. Um, Thor has got a a whole thing going on. (laughs) 
Um, <laughs> uh, a whole thing going on. Mm. Um, Props to the yeah. Iron Brew product placement in uh, in uh, Thor's scenes. Did you notice that? I did not notice yeah. the Iron Brew. But <laughs> like on the windowsill in there, like in their flat where they're just sitting around playing Fortnite. There's a there's just a bottle of Iron Brew, and I was just immediately drawn to it. Yeah, I think that and and Ray Davis are probably the people who are the most happy for the the money they're going to get from surprising nods in in a Marvel movie. Because, uh, yeah, I wasn't expecting a Kink song to just kind of kick in as they're being driven around. Uh, what I'm assuming is Scotland. Mm. I don't think they say exactly where, but <laughs> the Iron Brew certainly suggests that it's Scotland. Yeah, it's a heavy hint that the Asgardians are into Iron Brew. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I I really like. Uh, a lot of that 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 just the, the 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 thing i really didn't like about infinity war and either of the two viewings is it just kind of felt like none of the scenes had any room to breathe mm. like it was just constantly uh you know battle people talking about what they need to do to stop Thanos. battle people saying what they need to do to stop Thanos, etc 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 and there was no kind of moments for things to breathe like character moments like the, the, i think i talked about this last year when we talked about infinity war but like there was a the, the moment that kind of crystallizes for me one of the big problems with Infinity War was when Bucky and Cap are reunited for the first time and like you know there's, there's this whole thing a whole fucking movie existed because of like the question of whether or not Bucky could be rehabilitated and Cap not wanting to go through it and there was like a whole big conflict that didn't make any goddamn sense that was going on throughout that whole thing and then they meet and it's just kind of like hey how's it going yeah, let's go fight. <laughs> like, it, there's like there was no import to it. There was no sense of oh, you know, this is a big this is a big moment that's good. And what I liked about um, certainly the first like half of Endgame was it really felt as if they were taking their time to do these things to let you sit with the sense of how much the world has been changed by this, how much the sense of grief is kind of, uh, is really weighing on the surviving Avengers and just surviving people in general. And it really kind of was quite impactful when Scott Lang, AKA Ant-Man returned from the quantum realm and suddenly is like, Hey, I have a possible solution and the real sense of like hope that kind of emerges from that. When people realize maybe there is a way, maybe there is a way for us to undo all of these terrible things. And I, I felt that that was some of the really strongest stuff in terms of the, the the acting and the characterization in in general i thought that that part of the movie really was really really strong mm. i think the difference is is you've over the course of those two movies you've got an awful lot of plot yes and it's pretty much all in infinity war infinity yeah. war is a movie which is entire running time is made up by plot and just a couple of like small character moments and that is it mm. whereas yeah. And it it's kind of has to pull all of those people that we've never shared the screen before all together at once. It, it almost feels like these two movies could have been three regular length movies. Mm. Uh, I'm not saying I'm not trying to give them an excuse to make more of them. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's it's like it would have given it time to, like I say, like you say, kind of move at a more kind of like leisurely place in in in, in points to make the moments where something emotional has happened uh, feel a bit more earned mm. um, rather than just like, you know, Infinity War. I, d- I rewatched it last week as well in, in preparation for seeing Endgame. And whilst I think I'm a bit warmer on it than you are, 
Mm-hmm. Um, it is every single scene is expositionary and plot. It's plot. Let's do this. Why we're doing that? We're going to go here. We're going to do this to do that to do that. And that's all it is for like two and a half hours. Yeah, and it also. I mean, this is kind of like the problem with with Infinity War. Not to kind of talk too much about that movie is like a lot of the problems with it are like fundamental to the nature of the movie so if you complain about them people say well that's just what the movie's trying to do it's like yeah just because like that's what the movie's trying to do doesn't mean that it's a bad decision (laughs) and like Mm. it's like because like for there it's like the team's all kind of separated for the most part and they don't there's not that real sense that you get in the other avengers movies of oh the whole team is coming together to work on i think it's more like that they begin fractured and some of them meet up and then they kind of forge a uneasy alliance but also like tony stark is out, out on the other side of the galaxy for the entire movie and there's like a real sense of people being distant and separated from each other or like it's all set up and no payoff because that's what it is you know it's the it's the first half of the movie but that doesn't mean that it can't be satisfying in its own right like you look at the lord of the rings trilogy like the first uh, the fellowship of the ring is like a very satisfying movie in its own right but it is also entirely pay uh set up for like the next six hours of movie mm-hmm. um but it still works as its own thing and the other thing is like it's kind of a thanos movie because he is the person with agency he's the person trying to do something but he's also like the eighth bill like eighth most important character in the movie or he's treated that way there's no sense of him being like really important to what's going on he's just kind of like someone that they keep cutting back to mm-hmm. whereas I think this one, because he dies in the first scene and then he's only like introduced later when all the time travel stuff starts happening, then like it feels more like, oh, like the team are coming together. They are working on a thing. Tony has got a kid, but he and he Tony has got a kid and he doesn't want to kind of be involved in this life anymore, but he's figured out a solution. They all kind of like come together and work on a plan and then suddenly it's like, yes, we're off to the races. Uh and then you know Thanos shows up again and is as as the personification of uh, of evil for the movie because otherwise it's just them kind of fighting against the concept of time <laughs> uh so that's you know that's that works well having him come back and be someone that actually have to fight at the end but uh yeah th- this one i feel like really handle has a lot of the stuff in it that i felt was like missing from infinity war and made infinity war not that kind of enjoyable or satisfying whereas i think end game is like it sets out to be a very satisfying movie, and it does that you know, fairly well. Hmm. I wonder whether they work better together as a two, uh, with the first half being a hasty, quick kind of setting of a table, but more like they're building a restaurant, uh, mm. whilst the second is a uh, gorging yourself on a very, very overindulgent rich meal. I mean, that's certainly very possible that, you know, viewed as one uh, five and a half hour experience, they'll kind of like work together. But like, that's not great in terms of like structure, really. No. <laughs> that, no. You, that you have to sit. But I, I guess it's kind of like the one of the un- uh, underrated keys to the success of the, the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And this is something that um, Noel Murray work, wrote about a few years ago is just how omnipresent they are on television. Mm-hmm. Like, particularly over here on like uh you know like tnt and basic cable channels if i'm ever at the gym in the evening there's like a pretty good chance that some marvel movie will be playing (laughs) and i feel like infinity war and 
Endgame really do feel like, oh, this is designed to, to be binged. Like, this feels like it's it really suits the way in which a lot of people consume, you know, television as a long-form a long form storytelling format. Mm. Uh, and that, that maybe that that is kind of their intention is that people will kind of see them all in like one long thing on a, of an evening on uh, Disney plus, I guess I was going to say on Netflix, but now on Disney plus in a few years and like it will, it will work together uh, more naturally there. And, and it also, in terms of like the televisual aspect, I think like this really does feel like a season finale of a TV show in, in kind of like, that's not like to disparage it, but that, that is very much like, the model that I think the MCU has followed, particularly in phase three, is this sense of um, it being kind of like a series of interconnecting stories all building up to this one thing that's going to happen. And the, you know, the bringing in of all of the old characters, the time travel into the old movies, it really did, you know, characters being effectively retired as far as the movies are concerned. Mm-hmm. It does really feel as if this is like, oh, this is a big thing that has, everyone has been building up to. Yeah, in much the same way as you would you would get in the final episode of a, a, a long-running serialized tv show mm, yeah what was your overriding feeling when you came out of the cinema because mine was whilst i didn't unreservedly like or love the film uh, you know mm-hmm. very much enjoyed it my overwhelming thought was i really am in awe of how they pulled it off and when I say pulled it off, I don't mean just Endgame. I mean the whole 22 film series, which is all probably, you know, they, they probably didn't know where they were going from Iron Man, but like yeah. very early on, they knew they were going to end up at this point. And I kind of think that even though viewed like film to film, there's some weaker ones, there's a lot that are just good. Uh, mm-hmm. And there's some that are, you know, pretty goddamn good. Like, it's quite a staggering achievement to have pulled something off. And it's incredibly ambitious to have even attempted it. And I kind of wonder whether, like, they've made a rod for their own back in a way. Because it's going to be very hard to do something like this again. Yeah, I kind of, I think I came out of it thinking that kind of a similar way to the way I felt after watching like the last Harry Potter movie where there was just a sense of like it's very very impressive that they managed to pull this whole thing off that they made this many movies and it's even more impressive obviously because they made more movies and you know it's not a single story they were telling they were telling a lot of different stories and having franchises within franchises and all that sort of stuff but yeah I, I was definitely walked away thinking it's kind of amazing that they pulled all of this off considering how it, the wheels could have come off of it so often. Uh, and there are so many opportunities for things to go wrong. Like Iron Man, there was no guarantee Iron Man was going to be a success um, at all on paper. The first Iron Man, there's like so many things that you would that should would be a red flag normally to movie executives uh, in terms of casting, in terms of the production and the approach to the whole thing, the uh, the the way in which you know they decided after Iron Man was a success that they were going to do like Captain America and Thor who were not exactly at the time you know not the, not even that long ago but you know like a decade ago it's like those aren't marquee names <laughs> those weren't like big names to really draw from 
So, like, considering how often it could have failed, I, 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 I think it's kind of amazing the point that which which they managed to reach this this whole thing, this big crescendo of all of these movies that they've made and all of these characters that they've introduced and the way that they have really introduced a lot of these characters to audiences who'd never experienced them before and now they all feel like icons like in my screening towards the end when there was babe what i've been thinking of as the uh, i've come back to you at the turning of the tide mm-hmm. <laughs> moment where they've unsnapped everyone and then suddenly all of the heroes show up you know like there was just five minutes of people cheering for people showing up not dr strange mm. <laughs> people not so infused about him but certainly like black panther and uh shuri walking in that got like a huge round of applause spider-man showing up again got a big round of applause the, the guardians of the galaxy coming back got a big big cheer you know there is a real sense of like oh like they took a lot of these characters who were often very niche and made them things that people are who are not necessarily like comic book people are standing up and cheering in the cinema and that is that to me is kind of more impressive than the technical aspect of you made a very expensive movie after making a lot of very expensive movies it's like the way in which they have managed to push these like a character like Groot to the center of like mainstream culture like Mm. that is genuinely an incredible uh thing to have achieved Mm. I, i was kind of like thinking about how for me i find it very unusual how way back at the start of doing this podcast Hmm. i was someone who was really not interested at all in comic book movies Hmm. and i remember seeing avengers about a year and a half after it came out Hmm. and i remember giving it like two and a half stars or something out of five on letterboxd and saying well, this is about as good as these movies get, I guess, which isn't very good. I said, that is actually my genuine review. That's what I wrote about that. <laughs> and now it was like, you know, you can so easily look at it and say, well, okay, we are at saturation point for superhero movies. We're at a point where like 95% of a screening in our, my home city is one film across mm. seven cinemas or whatever we have in Sheffield. But I am psyched for Endgame. <laughs> and, you know, having completely kind of gone around uh, to be kind of converted was quite a big thing, I think, for me. And it's not to say that I was like some kind of like art house dilettante when we started this. That's not true at all. I just wasn't particularly interested in superhero movies to have been kind of completely turned around to them to the point where I was like, you know, super excited to be there on opening night and see how this whole shebang finished having rewatched like four or five of the films in the previous fortnight is pretty surprising to me that said i was not cheering when people came up but there people were like clapping and stuff um mm. when it happened um when bits like the bit you mentioned happened but yeah my point was originally when i went back and thought about the avengers i remember us saying when we were, I think we were previewing films for that year back in when, when did the Avengers come out? Like 2013, 14? Uh, two, 2012. 2012, good grief. I remember mm-hmm. us previewing it and I remember confidently saying it would be a failure or something <laughs> because, you know, that's, that's kind of uh, how informed I am. But I seem to remember saying that, like, there's just too many characters. How are they going to balance <laughs> them all? And that was with, like, five people, <laughs> yeah, essentially. And this, you know. I mean, the, the the people you forget are in the MCU is absurd. 
And the mm. fact that you know you can have Tilda Swinton and Robert Redford turning up for like fairly important scenes, I guess. And you're like, oh shit, these guys were in it. This is there's there's a lot of people in this, and it, none of it feels particularly rushed. And I, I think that is a real testament, I guess. People will 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 rag on these movies for being formulaic and being kind of big action spectacles. But the thing is, is that like they have to be very very finely balanced, or it just becomes a big fucking mess and like i'm mm. the, the my my walk my takeaway from seeing endgame walking out of the cinema thinking how did they pull this off is also in part thinking this could have just been three hours of just endless what's going on what's happening who are these people why am i here again but it wasn't it just it felt really really balanced as a movie and for a movie with like 180 characters that's you know pretty <laughs> pretty good i think it also helps that the story itself in terms of like what are the characters goals what are they trying to achieve is fairly straightforward in this one mm-hmm. like they are trying to get the infinity stones back in order to do that they need to go back in time and it, and so the teams have to split up and go to the different points in the previous timeline so they are kind of interacting with the previous events of the movies in kind of like fun ways that like even I think there are parts of the movie that will just be baffling to people who maybe are seeing it because it's a cultural event, but they maybe haven't seen every single one. Mm-hmm. Like I feel a lot of like the the stuff that Rocket and Thor are talking about the events of Thor, the Dark World, is just it's just nothing to people who haven't seen that movie. It's just kind of like he was she was infected with some sort of red goo, mm. and that's what they're getting, and that was the stone. Okay, uh, but you know it's like. It, it really does kind of like the, the the through line is so clear of like okay they have to get this stuff so that they can make their own infinity gauntlet and undo everything it, it it just works it kind of like holds together and so it's a very it's very easy to kind of build it particularly in the middle part you know kind of like fairly elaborate thing where the thing's taking place in multiple different timelines and um you know they can only try to tra- travel through time so many times and you know they have to they've realized oh if we go to new york when the battle of uh of new york is happening at the end of the first avengers then we can get three of the infinity stones because they all happen to be there and it's like oh this is like that stuff is you know fairly clearly laid out i think and uh, that that cleanliness i think is is really important to how well the movie just functions as a story in mm. a way that is true about a lot of uh, a lot of the Marvel movies, they have fairly kind of like straightforward stories. It's sort of one of the the key things about like the first Iron Man. Like that's a very straightforward, straightforward movie, and I think that can, that allows it to have so many characters and everything. Is that f- until everyone shows up for the big brawl at the end, really and truthfully, you're following a small number of people. Really, it's basically just the original Avengers plus Rocket and. Um, who else is alive at that point um yeah like a few other people yeah mm. and that i think really does works the movie's benefit and then kind of sets it up for the the big fight at the end which is all kind of pandery and fan servicey in a way that sometimes work and is sometimes a little bit embarrassing mm. um in particular i was thinking about the sequence where all of the female superheroes kind of like line up to fight mm. which which just kind of felt very self-congratulatory and also unearned because like it's one of those things like look at all these female characters we have and 
as being but also being like please forget that we only let one woman direct one of these 22 movies mm. and that only one of these characters was directed by a woman <laughs> and hardly any of these movies were written by women you know it's very much kind of like but look the facile feminism we have on display is right here for all of you mm. and that, it's a that bit like to me is a bit like when the spice girls said that margaret thatcher had girl power that's what that, yes. that moment felt like Yes, yes. Or the um, the great tweet from a couple of years ago, which was like, the Trump administration opens uh, internment camps. And it's like, liberals, hire more women, guards. <laughs> it's just kind of like, it kind of like, it has that kind of feel to it. It's like, just because you have a lot of female characters doesn't necessarily mean that you're advancing any particular, um, any particular kind of like feminist cause. It's just, you happen to have a lot of, of female characters because you've made a lot of movies. Mm. But also like, only one of those again only one of those characters was like the centerpiece of any of those movies so that that to me kind of was like this this is uh not not great <laughs> um like in the moment it's whatever but like when you kind of think about it for a moment you're like this is just this is just embarrassing mm-hmm. but then like some of the other stuff uh you know like the various characters coming back um really worked for me because uh like just a thing in fiction in general that will always make me cry is people getting to spend more time with someone who's passed Mm -hmm. so uh like like i said i don't really care about thor the dark world that much and like um i don't think the movies did particularly well by renny russo in her appearances in the previous thor movies but i thought the scene of thor getting to spend time with his mother again was really sweet mm-hmm. and like that felt very very nice and earned um uh the reunion of uh of tony stark and his father was really 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 quite lovely obviously his father doesn't know that he's his son but it was still you know quite nice i do enjoy those moments in anything that's time travel um uh anything any movie that involves time travel where people meet like uh someone that they may be knew earlier a different point in their life and gets to kind of share a moment uh, the reunion of spider-man and iron man also got a very big cheer in my screening mm-hmm. because obviously that uh, him being snapped away was very much like the the big emotional moment from the previous movie that everyone responded to so then uh hugging i thought worked very well i think i think anytime the movie had characters be reunited it, it worked kind of like really really well and like paid off very nicely Hmm. Yeah, I I really liked how they managed to put in a lot of the characters that are clearly fan favorites, but without kind mm. of like looking at the camera and saying, "Hey, remember that?" Like Korg yeah. from yeah. Thor uh, Ragnarok. Mm-hmm. Like the the scene where they're playing Fortnite is kind of pretty funny, and it fits with the character, and it didn't just feel like oh, shoehorn this in just. So-. I mean, I can't quite get my head around how he alive still or how any of the asgardians are alive, alive Cause yeah, cause i'm pretty sure they all died yeah uh, i i liked how he had uh he was wearing taika waititi's pineapple, pineapple shirt. yeah yeah nice yeah. nice touch that was nice touch i enjoyed that immensely but yeah i'm trying to think if there was any other there, i think it was only really the girl power moment that felt a little bit like i mean it was on the nose yes. <laughs> you know what i mean it was like a giant nose pointing out of the screen sniffing your face um, and mm. I was like, you know, they they could have uh, said this in a in a slightly more subtle way. Yeah, they they could have not had them say she's not alone or whatever. Like it could have been just the scene plays out and it's all the women characters 
but not like them kind of announcing it and the camera panning across all of them in a way that just kind of like, hey, all right, come on, just yeah. <laughs> just get on with it. Yeah, there's also it's it's attracting a bit of criticism about the the scene in support group where the, one of the characters who played by one of the Russos, I'm not sure which one, yeah. talks about going on a date with another guy, and it's like they're kind of making. There's a lot of talk about that being the first openly gay moment in a Marvel mm-hmm. movie. Well, like an openly gay character talking about doing something like super gay, like going on a date with another person. And people are, there's a lot of criticism online for that. And I think the the criticism is probably justified that the, the people saying about how they're doing it are kind of positioning themselves as if what they're doing is really brave. Mm-hmm. Whereas like we've had yeah. 22 movies, there is, you know, in the last five or six movies, a character that they kind of almost set up to be gay and really kind of just like skirt around it in the character of Valkyrie yes. um, and never actually mention it. And just this is this, it just seems like this, there's no real cause for celebration here. If they just had that moment and didn't mention it, then, you know, people would just kind of say, OK, that happened. That's a thing. But instead, they're kind of like holding out their hands for the high fives and mm-hmm. not, not particularly earned. Yeah, it's like you know, showing up to the Stonewall Inn or whatever and being like, you know, the real struggle was me playing that part in that movie. <laughs> you know, that's the real victory of the gay of the gay pride movement uh, is that one guy in a big movie talks about dating a man mm-hmm. off screen. Yeah, a character that um, we never see again. Yes. Um, and he has three lines and that's it. Yeah, I, I do... I do truly love the phrase exclusively gay moment, which I think was also used for the Beauty and the Beast remake, I think. It's just so meaningless. <laughs> just like, it's one of those things where you just throw it out there and you think, this will get as positive attention. And everyone's like, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> uh, and then when you see it, it's always the most kind of like, uh, just like completely banal thing. But, you know, it's just like, doesn't really push or challenge anything it's just kind of like a person talking about a thing that happened elsewhere it's mm. like oh great well done yeah um, well at least they didn't jk rowling it and so you know like <laughs> years later say you know hulk was you know absolutely gay 100 percent gay <laughs> he was exclusively gay <laughs> mm-hmm. one of the things that i thought was really nice about the movie but also kind of pays off and uh, results in one of the kind of like the sour notes for me um was that they do provide nice send-offs for captain america and for iron man the mm-hmm. first of whom you know travels back in time to replace the infinity stones after everything's done and then decides to stay in the past and spend time with peggy which is uh genuinely very lovely and a nice end for that character and iron man who dies saving the day and i think that that's that's really nice i really like the way in which they pay tribute to certain moments from the previous movies obviously by traveling back in time to them but you have what moment i thought was like just really nicely handled which is a restaging of the elevator scene from the winter soldier Mm. but instead of captain america fighting everyone he whispers hail hydra to the shield agents and then walks away with the thing he needs (laughs) i thought that's that's nice. That's kind of a like an, an acknowledgement of the history of this franchise and what they've been built and that, you know, this was a big moment. But also, uh, you know, the fun thing about a time travel story like this is, one, you can have Captain America fight himself, mm-hmm. which is pretty fun, um, and admire his own ass, which is weird. 
and you can also have you know just kind of like fun moments where they're like oh i know what's happening here because i've been through this before and i can maybe or i know more than the people around me so i can i can kind of play around and that i, I thought that uh was really really good but what i that, that what kind of like stuck in my craw a little bit about it was the fact that the other character in the movie who dies which is black widow mm-hmm. kind of just gets killed in a very perfunctory way and without having previously had like any of those moments to really kind of like celebrate her part in building up the series and part of the reason for that is like i don't really feel they ever did anything good with that character or like like you know like scarlett johansson was good in the role and everything but like they pointedly didn't give her her own movie there until like i guess a prequel or whatever that they're going to do now Mm, it must be because they've announced it haven't they yeah um and then like in a lot of the other movies she always felt very underutilized so it's like maybe there wasn't really much that they could do all they really could hang it on was her relationship with with clint uh hawkeye but it still felt like her death didn't have the weight that you would hope for for a character who's been there for since iron man 2 and who has been kind of like a, a core member of the team even if she wasn't always particularly well used so like when she died like it made sense for what they had to do you know they have to sacrifice someone to get the soul stone and it has to be it has to be one of her or hawkeye because they're the ones who've gone but it still felt like it didn't have the the weight and that her exit from the movie felt really perfunctory compared to iron man and captain america's you know kind of like retirement which felt like very valedictory particularly iron man's because obviously the whole like there's a like whole 15 minutes of the movie which is people being uh genuinely quite sad by the fact he's dead mm. i really like the captain america payoff because i mean mm. i've gone on before about how uh i mean captain america is my favorite of the avengers um yeah. and uh, particularly bearded i think we've been through that um mm-hmm. but i think i really like the first movie the first movie is kind of daft in places and it's kind of like a, you know, a, a bit of a kind of like a boy's own adventure, which is kind of cool because it's, it's throwback. But I really, what I really like about the first Captain America movie is the ending because it's so like melancholy and bleak because he wakes up mm. and realizes that everyone he knows is dead. And he just says, oh, I had a, I had a date and then realizes yeah. that he's never going to go on it. And it's nice to see the fact that that kind of like, you know, sadness that's been under the surface of, of you know, the, the Avenger who has to keep everyone going all the time is paid off. It's quite nice. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. uh, Tony Stark giving his life when he very nearly did it at the end of the first Avengers movie um, mm. had a, a bit of a nice kind of symmetry to it. I really liked, like you mentioned, the elevator scene. It was nice because yeah. it was a kind of a throwback to um, the Winter Soldier or whatever, but also the fact that he kind of says, Hail Hadra. <laughs> Hail Hydra as a gag is funny because wasn't there a good deal of controversy about a genuine right-wing turn that Captain America takes in the comics recently? Where it turns out he's been like a Hydra agent the whole time? Yeah, I'm not totally up on how that story resolves i think they it's kind of like maybe it's like a brainwashing thing or whatever but yeah like he is he is a hydra agent and everyone was kind of like yeah i think this is like a bad look to have like this this symbol of uh justice to have secretly turned out to be the the nazi equivalent of the mcu but yeah like that does feel like a, a like them doing it as a joke 
does feel like it's kind of a uh, a fun play on that of like that very serious thing that the comics did that got everyone mad being treated as just like a throwaway joke in the movie mm, yeah i there's there's something kind of final about the whole thing in the sense mm. that I, like most people, sat there waiting for the post credit scene <laughs> to see where we'd be going next um, and how silly I looked sitting there with, you know, five or six hundred other people when there is no post credit scene, just uh, the sound of, uh, you know, something being hammered, I think. And the idea that, like, obviously we have kind of a new generation, the torch has been passed um, in, in the sense of, uh, like, some people have got their own movies and they're all, you know, the whole premise is already set. Captain Marvel, Black Panther, the, the kind of the two big ones. Guardians of the Galaxy have still got distance left to run, and plus now Thor has joined them, which is kind of fun because I thought that mm. that's one thing that I liked in, in Infinity War when when yeah, Thor same. is captured. That's kind of funny, and it kind of adds a new dynamic to that group. I kind of thought that Thor would kind of slip out and kind of leave the MCU kind of in a in a way that Captain America did, but hey ho, uh, I think that would be quite cool. But then you've also there's there's a kind of almost a sense that like I don't need to see another superhero movie for a long time. I feel like we've yeah. we've it's this bit of it's over and is there now going to be another series of twenty two movies or you know you know what is the there's probably there's so much material in the comics I would imagine as someone who hasn't really particularly read a lot of Marvel comics that there's enough to keep them going plus with the the the, the Fox purchase they will have the X Men I presume. Yes. Um, and obviously, will that have people had too many X Men movies? Is there like a, a feeling that I don't need to see any more Marvel movies was quite overwhelming because 22 is a lot, right? And yes. They cover a lot of ground. But I would be very interested to see because, like I said, I was astounded they pulled this off. Astounded that they made 22 movies, none of which are dreadful, mm. most of which are enjoyable, and some of which are excellent. And they managed to tie them together in not just a token way. It kind of pays off as a whole thing. And that's pretty amazing. That is, you know, wildly ambitious. And say what you like about, you know, movies these days. You know, that's pretty good. They've done that. Well done. But, like, Mm. can lightning strike twice? And will they just keep making maybe slightly, like... Because if you look at the the Marvel the MCU, the first like six movies are just Iron Man, Hulk, or Captain America, right? Yeah, basically, and Thor. Are they going to need to try and reset the table again without those kind of, without those kind of like anchors? I guess uh, Black Panther and Captain Marvel kind of strong enough to take it forward. I think Black Black Panther definitely is. Uh, Captain Marvels didn't seem like. There was a lot more story to someone who's essentially invincible who can do anything. Yeah, I think that was a thing. A lot of people pointed this out. There were some articles basically saying that there's kind of a power problem with mm-hmm. with Captain Marvel in this movie in particular in the fact that they just have to send her away. Mm. Uh, and she's like, you won't see me for a while. Okay, bye. And then she just <laughs> then kind of like shows up at the, the crucial moment, which is fine. I have no problem with people showing up in the nick of time. That's like 80% of superhero stories but it's it is really it is really funny that they they seem to just they couldn't think of a really elegant way of explaining how to not have her in the movie for a bit because she's just so strong mm. like it's kind of a similar problem with that they usually have with like thor but i guess thanos is is power has been shown to be powerful enough to like render thor 
a little less of a problem. But yeah, but the previous movie, which is still in theatres and is still doing very well, has spent so much time explaining how she's just uh, almost unstoppable <laughs> that it does kind of feel uh, uh, like there's not a, maybe not a huge amount of material for her. It certainly in a team up movie like this, because then it's just a problem. It's the same problem that like the Justice League have as well, where it's like guess we have to kill Superman and then have him maybe be evil for a bit mm -hmm. because if he's on our side, things become a lot easier for us. But I, I'm sure there's, there's stuff they can do. Like the Captain Marvel as a character has been around for a long time and there's lots of... I'm sure there's, there's plenty of material they can draw from. But yeah, it, it does feel as if... There's, there's always a problem when you have a character who's just so strong that it, the, the stories become harder to tell. I, I think... Obviously, like the the movies that are surviving, I get are the characters that are going to keep going at least for a little while. Like the Guardians are fairly well set, especially now that James Gunn is back on board officially. Mm -hmm. Which I think did we talk about on the show? I figured we might. Yeah, we did. Point. Yeah, yeah. So and and now he gets to play with Chris Hemsworth. Mm -hmm. So that'll be that'll be fun. Um, so the, that's obviously kind of a fairly strong tentpole in its own right. Black Panther's kind of a phenomenon, and I think it'll be interesting to see how the second one does. Uh, and Captain Marvel uh, is, is you know, obviously the first one did, did very, very well, and I think they there's room for them to really kind of establish the character a bit more, but because of the nature of the character not knowing who she is for most of the first movie mm -hmm. and not being in this they haven't really done as much to establish her as they had with a lot of the other movies, which is just a result of how that, that those stories were told, which is kind of unfortunate. But then I think there's a lot of room there for that to be kind of like solid. And then everything else, you may go back to a, a thing where, a situation where new Marvel movies only earn $180 million at the box office as opposed to 300 million, you know, back in like with the first Captain America did that, Thor did that, Ant-Man did that. That that they they may have to go to a, a thing where the movies aren't all going to be massive 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 blockbusters. They'll still by most standards be very very successful because of the Marvel brand. Mm -hmm. But uh, I I I I'm not sure if they will ever achieve something on this scale again. You know, we we talk about the I talked about this on the the other episode this week with Emily about the box office, but it earned one point two billion over the course of like five days, mm. which makes it one of the twenty most successful movies ever. After five days, mm. and that is a real genuine phenomenon. You know, that is something that is connecting with a large number of people who are like, I have to see this thing as soon as possible. I think to put that in in context, I think the Force Awakens, which was enormous and you know exceeded everyone's expectations uh, uh, you know box office wise i think it took nearly two weeks to reach that milestone yeah and like some of the other like uh, the other movies that it's kind of competing about for like best foreign weekend previously was one of the fast and furious movies and it earned nearly twice what that movie did mm. like it really is insane just how big it was it broke its own record for best opening weekend infinity war was like 257 million in three days in the u.s and this one's earned at least 350 million we don't know what f actuals are yet but it's a pretty pretty massive amount of money to earn in a very short period of time and i feel like they like there's a, they could achieve very big uh levels of success going forward you know depending on how well they handle the characters and obviously 
you know, at this point, they've demonstrated that they're pretty good at introducing characters and building them up into their own brand and their own fan base or whatever. But, you know, I think it's 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 unclear, you know, how much any new characters they introduce will be able to develop the same kind of affection people have for, for Tony Stark and for Steve Rogers. Mm. But I'm not going to put it past them because obviously... Uh, every time we have doubted Marvel, we have been proved wrong. Mm. Five characters in one movie is just too many, Ed. Um, yeah. How can you get, like, a, a Norse god and a man who throws a shield and a robot in the same movie and it makes sense? Oof. A talking tree? <laughs> no one's going to go for that. Madness. I... There was, uh, there was, sorry, I just remembered one thing that, like, I didn't particularly like about the movie. Um, mm. And it was the bit that everyone really all seems to like, the big scrap at the end... And I didn't, yeah. I didn't enjoy it particularly because it was awesome when there was just people fighting Thanos because Thanos mm. is really dangerous and, like, they yeah. can't beat him. And, like, it's there's a tension because you think, oh, shit, are they going to get up again? Can they keep going? And then when hordes of generic CGI monsters turn up that don't pose any kind of threat at all yeah you kind of lose that kind of sense of danger when you think well okay anyone but thanos is going to cause a problem here to anyone Hmm. yeah um and it, it's it's been the case since avengers the first avengers i think there's just kind of like hordes of cgi meanies that are just so easily dispatched they may as well not be there it's it's basically the battle droids from from the star wars prequels yeah, I like uh, you know we talked about it earlier when all the heroes show up, that's great. It's like nice seeing all the characters again. I I'm a sucker for, you know, people showing up like say at the nick in the nick of time and particularly for like big armies kind of squaring off. But ju- it just became a just a kind of a mass of pointless fights that don't really amount to anything. All that matters in that fight is keeping the the gauntlet away from Thanos, mm-hmm. and everything else is kind of immaterial. It's not like you know the, the the gold standard of a big fight like this would be something like you know the battle of helm's deep in lord of the rings where there's mini fights going on they're all kind of important to the broader story you're seeing like little character beats playing out and things like that whereas all of this is just okay there is one thing we need to achieve which is keeping the glove away from thanos and nothing else kind of really matters all of these characters are just kind of like faceless hordes there's not really a sense of when the tide is going to turn on one way or another is just like fight, 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 panda, panda, panda. And there was a panda. Like, was Kung Fu Panda one of, one of the Avengers? That that reality gem that can really <laughs> mess with things. Mm. But yeah, like it really does feel as if, like the, the way I kind of like wrote it down in my notes is it becomes less of a movie the longer it goes on. Mm. And I feel like that's particularly true, like for that whole massive chunk of it, which is just okay. This is where the fight happens, and like everyone kind of loses all sense of spatial awareness to each other, and it kind of pulls it back a little bit with the you know the the coda of Tony's funeral and uh, the res- resolution of Captain America's storyline, and all the characters again kind of being allowed to sit for a moment in their feelings, which is nice and uh you know kind of works very well but yeah that whole that whole fight is just it's just nothing in it was particularly memorable for me compared to some of the ac- other scenes earlier in the movie like they like the elevator bit which wasn't an action scene so much but it was like a bit that i thought oh this is like a really fun 
thing that they are you know they, they're carrying out pretty well mm-hmm. and I think uh, like action is kind of a problem for a lot of the Marvel movies in general particularly when it's just hordes fighting each other and and this one kind of felt particularly bad for that but it, it also kind of felt it felt a little better than the big fight at the end of Infinity War just because it felt like there was more a sense of 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 an end goal whereas that one it was just uh, you know a delaying action to see if they could defeat kill Vision or whatever or remove the gem from Vision's head and this so like on that I guess it kind of had an underlying story purpose that was a little stronger but it's still kind of yeah I, I did find myself zoning out a fair bit during that mm, yeah and if you compare that to so we, we're talking about like there's no sense of peril because yes. you know there's only really one baddie in that and if you think about the end sequence of Mission Impossible Fallout from last year mm. and how I nearly gripped through my seat just watching a film knowing full well that Tom Cruise isn't going to perish but it was yeah. so tightly done and kind of deftly executed and without you know there was a one baddie in that two baddies and a helicopter and they 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 kind of um, wrung more tension out of that and then you manage to with you know ten thousand pixels, you know what I mean? Because it, mm. you know, it, there's a kind of like a weightlessness to a lot of kind of CGI when it's done on a big scale, um, yeah. and especially when the you know the principal actors turn into like CGI doubles. Um, mm. So with the whole bit of like handing the glove off between people and kind of getting it through just felt like a cutscene. Yes, which yeah, was, yeah, yeah. You know a bit of a shame yeah especially because like you're saying that the fight that immediately precedes it against thanos Mm -hmm. feels feels like there's peril it feels impactful whereas like the big fight it really does feel kind of airless and also to compare it with fallout the nice thing about fallout is you know that final sequence has like about eight or nine characters all doing different things because they're all pairing off to diffuse different bombs or whatever and it cuts between them all and so you have the big chase but you also have um rebecca ferguson and simon Pegg fighting sean harris in the the little boathouse or whatever it is or the little cabin and it kind of balances all of that stuff and all these things feel like they matter equally because they all need to combine in order for them to to diffuse this nuclear bomb whereas there isn't a sense that all of the characters in this big fight have their own little stories, their own little thing that they're pursuing. Mm-hmm. It really is. The closest it gets is like Scarlet Witch facing off against Thanos because obviously she is, she's just come back from being unsnapped and she's you know kind of angry at him for having killed the love of her life. And so that, that has a little bit of weight to it, but everything else doesn't really feel like there's much, much of a muchness to it all. And the only thing that matters again is keeping the gauntlet away from Thanos and it feels like for a big story a big battle like that you do need like little stories going on that matter mm-hmm. and none of that was really in effect there like no one had like a little task they needed to do they, they didn't even be there wasn't even a moment where like oh you know they've got like a big we need to figure out how to take out a particular large enemy which is like a very basic thing in any big fancy battle like that and them kind of coming up with some sort of plan like i don't know like throwing ant-man at it and then him like growing to a massive size 
uh, as he hits it just to like knock it out mm. like it all just kind of felt very directionless yeah 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 i don't know if you saw david ehrlich's tweet about it earlier today i mean yeah he's someone <laughs> who was very positive about the movie really liked it gave it a very kind of glowing review but he who is of, usually not very high on Marvel. He, as well. Yeah, yeah, that's very fair to say. But he pointed out something that was kind of quite interesting when he said that, like, there's there seems to be a kind of overriding feeling amongst fans of Marvel that the success of Endgame and its kind of like mind-boggling success is in some way some kind of like vindication of their fandom. But at the same time, essentially what's happening is um, a conglomerate mm. that is now taking over all of entertainment, uh, movies, television, streaming, everything, um, has just released a absolute monstrosity uh, onto the world. Uh, and when I say monstrosity, something like it is literally a monster. It is devouring everything in it. Like other movies are being squeezed out of cinemas. There is, uh, you know, a very real fear that there's just, there's no choice at the moment at the, in, in cinemas. Mm. At the minute, I think like 80% of screenings in Sheffield, for example, like I said earlier, were just one movie. And that is something that probably shouldn't be celebrated. But yet we are all kind of like championing Disney as if it's some kind of like underdog in this, <laughs> in this thing. But whereas really they are just... Uh, a sinister corporation buying up absolutely everything mm. and, you know, literally steamrolling competition um, into dust. Yeah, uh, I think that's a fair assessment of it. I think they're like something that Disney have done very well and which is kind of insidious is they have really done a good job of cultivating fans as evangelical preachers, really, for their product and Mm -hmm. i think really encouraging people to have the things they like be a real kind of like key part of who they are as a person i don't like this does obviously i'm I'm not saying that like people can't like things or like that i myself don't kind of consider like the fact that i really like movies to be a very kind of like important part of who i am like that is that is the thing everyone knows about me um like people who are who i'm friends with and have been friends with for very long periods like no i like movies but like that's not the be all and end all i feel like they have done a very good job of getting people to think in those terms because uh, as like oh i like marvel movies i'm a marvel fan and celebrating their success as if it's some sort of indication of who they are and their worth as a person. And that's not great. You really shouldn't think that way about corporations. <laughs> Probably shouldn't mm-hmm. think that way about pretty much anything. Uh, maybe sports teams. Sports teams is fine. Um, mm-hmm. But actually, no, sports teams aren't fine. <laughs> they do some horrible yeah, shit those as well. Are, those are just corporations, Ed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, local sports teams? Amateur sports teams. Okay, amateur sports teams you can get overly invested in and kill people for, but not mm. for not for corporations. But yeah, I, I do think it's it's kind of a, a a kind of a corrosive thing for culture. <laughs> I think in terms of also like in terms of hurting the discourse around these sort of things because like there's been there's such a, a an awful thing around Marvel movies where if you criticize them, people will be like, oh. You, you must think you're so interesting for disliking a popular thing as as it like it does kind of like it doesn't shut down criticism because like no one's going to shut me up for saying things i dislike about <laughs> infinity war or endgame but it does like 
make it very clear like oh the person there's like a lot of people who just will not broach any sort of criticism of these movies and take it in any kind of good faith Mm. and like that's also kind of something that disney seemed to have fostered either intentionally or not it's definitely something that's that's kind of arisen and like there's almost kind of a, a factionalism or a tribalism that's in it which is just not very healthy for for, for for commerce and art for like that sense like you say of things being crowded out of cinemas and smaller not even smaller movies like smaller studios just not being able to get a look in but also just for like you know dissection and discussion of art to not be able to broach criticism of of your beloved marvel movies i think is not a great or healthy attitude and it be, mm. particularly because it then eventually becomes people being like oh you're just saying that for clicks or whatever it's like mm. No, like some people maybe take take a contrary point of view because it will get them attention, but that doesn't mean that a lot of people aren't being are entirely you know good faith in their arguments about why they don't like a thing, and mm. that it's not worthwhile to seriously discuss things that are very popular. In fact, it is probably more important to discuss things that are very very popular because they're the things that maybe are more indicative of broader trends in culture. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, we forget to mention that we are on the Marvel payroll as well, mm. and that's why why we're so hard on DC movies. Yes, because we're getting that sweet. I mean, I'm still waiting for my first check to drop yeah. of that sweet, sweet Marvel money. But they promise. Um, they promised it's coming for eight years. Mm, yeah, yeah, I'm sure they've got a lot of critics to go through. Um, <laughs> another slightly negative thing. It's not really about the movie, but it's like uh, kind of a knock on effect. Something I've kind of been reading about today. That like, whilst yeah. Avengers Endgame made $1.2 billion in five days. But, like, that very rarely translates into improving Marvel's comic sales. Yeah. And I saw a stat earlier saying that it was, it was like, some of Marvel's recent issues have, like, barely scraped together, like, 60,000 mm. uh, sales of of that. With and So it's not... People are maybe even replacing or, you know, they're their engagement with the property is the movies only yeah there's no curiosity to to kind of explore further because it's such a big sprawling yeah universe in itself Mm, yeah Um, which i found quite interesting also the fact that like not everyone just assumes that stan lee created it all whereas like the the characters that feature in uh, Endgame and Infinity War and a lot of the MCU are, are kind of created by many other people. Mm-hmm. You know, there's probably about ten or fifteen names people who who contributed to all of those characters. Most of which are, yeah, Stanley had a hand in, but some of which didn't. The, the Gardens of the Galaxy being one, um, and more specifically, the character of Rocket Raccoon, uh, a guy called Bill Mantlo, is you know penniless and kind of like can't pay his medical bills and like you i don't know if anyone's seen on twitter like there's a GoFundMe going around mm. uh, to try and kind of pay his medical bills because he's got like a debilitating medical condition and i'm like that just feels gross yeah in a in a world where you know fucking bradley cooper could pay that off with you know the money they get him to dick around with a you know bugsy malone accent for, <laughs> for a couple of hours um you know they could they could, you know, hook him up. And, you know, that's this weird thing that it kind of feeds into that idea where I was saying about, you know, we're all cheering for Disney somehow. And yet they could click their fingers and make it all go away. And, and you know, whilst it's it's not their duty to, it's like they owe an awful lot to the people who created these things. Mm. Yeah, it's it's like the... Um... 
the those the daughter of Walt Disney recently who spoke out about Bob Iger's like ridiculously high um salary in proportion to the other Disney employees mm-hmm. because he yeah, he makes like 200 times what the average Disney employee makes and she was like well you know Bob Iger you know does great work and he's obviously done uh, amazing things for in in increasing the amount of money the studio makes but you know why isn't that filtering down and uh, mm-hmm. that is uh times that that's true like a thousand times more when it comes to comics because the comics industry did a very very good job of basically stopping almost anyone who isn't stan lee from making money from their creations you know like a lot of people writers and artists were just completely screwed out of royalties for decades and decades and now there's not really a mechanism in place to reverse that or to make sure that they get a fair cut of the profits from the movies based on their work. And it's uh, it's a real shameful uh, turn of events that a lot of people just, you know, their names are on the screens, at least in some cases, you know, they were, they were the creators went unacknowledged for a great periods of time. But uh yeah like all of those people who contributed to this massively successful movie should probably be rich uh mm-hmm. based on and then they should be taxed 70 percent uh marginal income rate but they should be amply rewarded for the tremendous amount of money that they generated from their work and uh the fact is a lot of them just never had that and it's it's a real shocking and shameful thing mm, yeah absolutely it feels weird to end it on that such a downer. Uh, well, I'll just say uh, one other thing, and it's still it's also uh, kind of a downer. I did not like all the jokes about Thor being fat. I thought they were very cheap and mm. kind of lazy humour and didn't really serve the story goal of the movie of him being, you know, kind of so overwhelmed by a sense of failure, like they kind of played that for laughs in a way that I thought didn't really serve the story and is just kind of felt like them going, well, they're the only people we can make fun of anymore. And it's just like, mm. that just feels uh, gross to me. Yeah. I mean, two things like they, they dragged it out way too long. Yes. And secondly, they should knock it. Cause I've, I've been rocking that aesthetic for quite some time. <laughs> so, you know, you know, I, I'm not as confident as I look. Uh, and you know just lay off us chunky boys larger vikings (laughs) yeah yeah so we end this episode as we end all our episodes with shop versus shop recommends which we talk about a piece of culture that we've enjoyed and we think you listeners will enjoy as well matt what have you got to recommend for us this week well inspired by the culmination of you know 10 11 12 years of of superhero movies i thought i'd recommend a documentary about a fashion designer Mm. um i'm going to recommend the film mcqueen from last year a film that i have been wanting to catch up on and finally did so this week and it is a thoroughly absorbing and fascinating account of the life of alexander mcqueen um someone i didn't know a huge amount about i knew kind of who he was but you know not anything more than the fact that he was a fashion designer and it does a really great job of getting under the skin of you know what drove his work and what you know drove him and and just this kind of rags to riches seems like a little bit of a cheap way of putting it but kind of you know someone who came from very kind of uh unassuming beginnings to go pretty much kind of straight to the top of their profession um, very quickly and how that might have been a struggle to deal with and yeah whilst also kind of talking about his work and him as a person 
told through the people who knew him and a lot of, you know, really good archive footage. Probably best if you don't actually know that much about him, I think. Mm. But yeah, just seeing some of his work, it's very easy to kind of like kind of write off high fashion if you don't know anything about it. Because, you, you know, it's it's very easy to, to, to kind of be a bit snotty about it and kind of, you know, kind of take the piss a bit too easy. But when you when you actually see what goes like kind of into it, I guess, and the ideas driving it and, you know, you, you look at it a bit more kind of holistically, which the film does a really good job of doing without dumbing it down. It's it's a fairly fascinating kind of arena. And Alexander McQueen is someone who was very much out of place in that in that world and makes for you know a fascinating subject for documentary documentary is not going to change your life it's not presented in any in a in a in a kind of like interesting or inventive way it's fairly standard um the way it's laid out but the subject matter is so good and compelling that um there's a kind of a surprise every turn it's it's a pretty amazing but kind of pretty tough watch i'd recommend it it's on netflix so watch it if you're on the antidote to um hordes of weightless cgi kind of like frog lizard things then mcqueen could be your your boy yeah i'll second that it's a a really terrific documentary like you i didn't really know that much about steve mcqueen i just knew the the name uh alexander mcqueen i obviously know i also know the name steve mcqueen but um (laughs) alexander mcqueen uh, I, I obviously knew the name, but I didn't. I wasn't massively familiar with a lot of his work, so seeing it uh, uh, in the movie and the way that it contextualizes it, as you say, really gave me a appreciation for for him and his work. I'm going to recommend a book that I read this week, a book from 1993 called The Parable of the Sower by Octavia Butler. It's a sci-fi novel set in a near future. Uh, California which has been devastated by uh, climate change and kind of like the increased corporatization of America and focuses on the character a character called Lauren who has uh, an ability that's kind of like I think it's called hyper empathy which is basically she experiences the pain of other people around her uh, which is kind of an important part of the establishing the world and and the way but is, is kind of not the most important part of the book, the most important part of the book is uh, the journey that she goes on from this living initially in this kind of like walled middle class kind of like suburb that's barely holding on as the, the world around her is kind of collapsing and as um, kind of like roving bands of people who have been kind of like forgotten by the rest of society are starting to basically go after anyone who has even a slight bit of kind of safety and wealth and decides that she's going to travel north and kind of like set up her own community called earth seed which is and 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 the book is kind of about her physical but also spiritual journey as she kind of like develops the themes and ideas that she is going to build this community around and the people that she meets along the way it's one of the best works science fiction i've read ever Uh, i think it's brilliantly realized vision of the world it it feels as if it was written yesterday in terms of its concerns and and what butler was projecting out about the way that the world could go from from her vantage point in 1992 and it's just just like really propulsive really inventive and hugely hugely uh, impactful and i would recommend it to to anyone to pick up from your local library or bookshop that's the parable of the sower by octavia butler hmm sounds good 
If you've enjoyed this episode of the show, then please subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Acast, Spotify, Player FM, all the usual places. Uh, leave us a review, rate us, and recommend us to your friends. It's the best way to help us grow audience. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter, where we are at SRS underscore podcast. We'll be back next week with something entirely different, but until then, it's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. And goodbye from me.